The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Today's teaching text comes from Acts 2, 42-47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, hey, good to be with you uh, this morning. If we haven't met before, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, man, so two things. Though, I just before we get into it, I want to make sure we celebrate appropriately. Uh, the first is fifteen thousand nine hundred plus dollars is ridiculous. Uh, I'm gonna let you in behind the scenes real quick. We uh, had Rachel, who runs uh, operations for us, uh, give us the numbers like right uh, before the Christmas gathering, and we were at like a thousand, something like that. And Garrison and I were having honest conversations of like, all right, we asked them like, hey, it's not about what like. We'll just, we'll just go and we'll present it and it'll be fine. And then I checked back like a week after Christmas and she was like, yeah, 15,000, like casually uh, texting it to me. So you guys are slow, but you're very generous. So good on you for that one. No, for real, uh, man, just proud of the Holy Spirit in us as a church community. Like I know that, that so many of us are, are already pulled tight financially, trying to figure out how to, to pay for babies and for houses and for apartments and for life. And so, man, just so proud of the Holy Spirit in you and what he stirred up in our community with that. Second thing that's worth celebrating is that today is our two-year birthday as a church. <laughs> which is really fun. Uh, it's been two years since we launched weekly public gatherings. Uh, and if you want to know what that means, that we're two years old, especially if you're new, just go hang out in City Kids for like a, a few minutes. Uh, we're figuring out how to like work our limbs and not throw temper tantrums while also like coming into our own a little bit and have like a personality and a sense of humor. And it's a ton of fun. And uh, really, I say that to say that every year that we get to come up here and say, we made it another year, feels like a grace gift from God. And that's it, period. Nothing that we have done has made us continue continue to be alive as a church, but the grace of God. And so it's just worth celebrating and acknowledging that and, and super excited to get to, to celebrate God's faithfulness to us as a church. It's a gift and it's a miracle. Uh, we're so, so grateful. Uh, if you would, let's pray together and then I'll kind of get us where we're going uh, and into God's word. Lord, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for the people in this room. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to, to set aside of just a few minutes to remember, to celebrate, to be changed by the gospel. Lord, we come as a people desperate for your grace. Lord, as we look back on 2022, as we look ahead at, at 2023, Lord, every inkling within us that would think we are sufficient for the days ahead would be foolish and wrong. But we know that we walk with you. Now, you've already gone before us into this year. Lord, you know what tomorrow holds. You know what next week holds. You know what this summer holds and this fall. You number our days. You guide our paths. And so, Lord, Lord, I pray that you would humble us this morning. 
Will 2023 be a year as a church community marked by your presence, and your kindness, and your grace, and your power? We need you. We love you. Desperate for you. Probably sings in Christ's name and all God's people said. Amen. Well, my job this morning is to launch us into a sermon series we're going to be in over the next seven weeks that's really known in the church world as a vision series. It's a chance for us not to lay out a new vision or a a fresh vision, which is sometimes what sermon uh, vision series are for, but rather to kind of reset us as a church community on really what has been the driving kind of heartbeat and goal for us as a church. Since the spring of 2019, when a small group of us sat around Lindsay and I's living room to talk about and dream about what do we think God is calling us to in the city of Charlotte until now we have had the same driving goal. And so we want to spend the next seven weeks talking about that aim. And if you're new, I know that the new year is a time where a lot of people are checking out churches. This is a great time to be around us as a church because we're going to put it all out there for you. We're going to show you the good, the bad, and the ugly and kind of give you a chance to be like, do you want to be in it or not? And if you've been around for a while, this is a good chance for us to reset. And we want to do this series for two particular reasons. The first is that I want us to remember our why. I want us to remember our why. Why does a group of us get here every Sunday at 7 a.m. to turn a workout studio into a sanctuary? Why do we, as a church community, ask you over and over and over again, are you in a community group yet? Are you in a community group yet? Are you in a community group yet? Why do we push so hard into the things of spiritual formation and life and depth with God? Why do we do the things that we do? Because here's the reality. If you lose your why, you lose your way. You hear that? If you lose your why, you lose your way. If you forget why you and your spouse have a regular date night, you're going to lose your way. You're either going to stop doing it or it's going to become a begrudging chore or something you have to do. If you, learn, if you lose the why behind your New Year's resolution or goal from a week ago, you are going to lose your way. You're going to give up very, very quickly. We have to remember our why. Why do we do the things we do as a church community, specifically for us in this context? But the second reason why we want to do this is because definitions matter. Definitions matter. If you've ever been in a conversation with someone and you realize about five minutes in you're arguing because you're talking about two totally different things, Lindsay and I had one of these conversations a few weeks ago where we kept talking about how we couldn't do something and we kept using the phrase that day. Like it was something like, I can't do it that day, or I can't help you that day. And we realized about 10 minutes into this back and forth discussion that for her, that day was Tuesday, and for me, that day was Thursday, which causes a lot of confusion, right? And so what we want to do in this series is say, hey, I want to make sure we're all on the same page, that when I say something like church is a family, that you don't hear one thing when I'm really saying something else. Definitions matter. I want to make sure that we're on the same page. And so my goal this morning, we're going to kind of dive deep into this over the next six weeks, but this morning is just to kind of do 30,000 feet in 30 minutes. What is our vision as a church? And it's very simply, if you haven't picked it up from the slide behind me or from your bulletin, here's our vision as a church. Citizens Church exists to be a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. It's our vision. Citizens Church exists to be a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. We think this statement does a pretty good job summarizing what we see the church being about in the whole of scriptures, but specifically Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and get there. Acts chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 42. Acts chapter 2. I'll give you a second to get there. Uh, if you need a Bible, uh, there should be some kind of scattered around the seat backs. If you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. That's our gift to you. 
Acts chapter 2. What I want to do this morning is I want to look together at the very first church in the scriptures and to talk about what we can learn from their example as we consider this vision of being a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. Now to give you the backstory to Acts chapter 2, Jesus has died. Three days later, he rises again, and in Acts chapter 1, he tells his disciples, I'm going to leave you, but the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is the city they're currently in, Judea, which is the surrounding region, Samaria, which is the neighboring region, and to the ends of the earth. And he does. He leaves them. He ascends to the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. They, they get up. Peter, in particular, preaches a sermon in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 people get saved in a day. Crazy revival breaks out in the city of Jerusalem, and this, Acts 2, is how the first church, the first community of believers rally their shared life together. Now, almost certainly, they did not have a vision statement. Almost certainly, they did not have a website that they said, hey, this is what we're about as a church. Come check us out, Church of Jerusalem. We meet at 9.30 at the Dowd YMCA, right? Almost certainly, that wasn't what they did. But it's not hard, as we take a look at this passage, to see that their life revolves around three primary movements. Following Jesus, being a family, and living on mission with God. Let me show you this and break down what that means. We'll start with following Jesus. Pick it up, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So at their core, this first church was a Jesus people. That was their marker as a community. They were defined by the fact that they rallied around Jesus. They weren't rallied around certain theological nuances and preferences. They weren't rallied around political ideologies. They weren't rallied around common interests or hobbies. They were rallied around Christ. The whole thing for the early church centered around, is Jesus in fact the Messiah? Is he the son of God? Did he actually come, live, die, and rise again for the sins of the world? Because if that's true, that becomes the rallying cry of this entire countercultural community, that Jesus is, in fact, who he said he was. The whole thing centers on him, but not just as an idea, as a lived reality. Let me show you this. There's four specific ways the text tells us they were Jesus-centered. We'll hit them quick. The first is the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. The first way that this church community was centered around Jesus was that they were devoted to teaching, to doctrine, to the things of God. To them, God was an endless mystery by which they wanted to give their lives to knowing more and studying more and understanding more. If you track through the rest of the New Testament, you'll see this emphasis on preaching and teaching of God's word throughout the early church. So Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word. Or in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, my prayer for you, church, is that you would increase in the knowledge of God. They wanted to understand God more, know God more, walk with him more. And a key way they did that was through the teaching and preaching of the scriptures. Second way they were Jesus-centered was through communion. 
You see there in verse 42, it says the breaking of bread. Now this in particular sandwiched between teaching, fellowship, and prayers doesn't mean meals. They're going to reference meals in a second, but it means communion. The, The very breaking of bread they would do as they gathered together as the people of God to remember what just very real happened in their lives, that Jesus died and rose again. And so they were devoted to centering their gatherings around the table, around the Lord's Supper, around communion. In fact, if you track throughout church history, really until the early revivals of America, the church's gathered worship didn't center around the pulpit, it centered around the table. Communion, remembering and celebrating the body and blood of Jesus. This is how one church historian, Andrew McGowan, says it. He says, communion was not merely one sacramental part of a community of worship life, but the central act around or within which others, reading, preaching, prayers, and prophecy were arranged. The table was the center of worship as they centered their lives around Jesus because the table, communion, was about Jesus. The third way we see is prayers. Prayers. They talked with God just as much as they talked about God. They didn't want to just know facts about God or ideas about God or theology about God. They wanted to actually walk with him. If you keep reading into Acts 3 and beyond, you'll see prayer as this kind of distinct marker of the early church, that they are seeking God, and through their prayers, the gospel expands to the nations. Through their prayers, people are healed. Through their prayers, literally, people are released miraculously from jail. I mean, it's one miraculous thing after another, always driven by prayer, always driven by seeking the face of God. And then lastly, it says signs and wonders. In other words, the Holy Spirit lived among the people of God. From the upper room at Pentecost, where the Spirit is first poured out into the life of the church, the Spirit lived in God's people, both individually and communally as a group. And through that, there were signs and wonders, healings, prophecy. God was at work in their midst. So the first church begins centering their lives around Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. So because their lives revolved around Jesus, it also started revolving around one another. Look at verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. All right, pause there. So because they loved Jesus because they're wanting to walk with Jesus and be close to Jesus and abide with Jesus, that then spills out into the fact that they start loving one another, which is how the scriptures say it's going to work, right? The first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, will lead and flow out into the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And you see this happening, right? Here's 3,000 people. There is no way they all know each other. Like there's no possible way 3,000 people get saved in one day and all of a sudden they're like, we're best friends. That's not how life works. That's not how it works now. It's not how it works then. But Jesus has done something so radical in their community that they now say, because we're centering our lives around Jesus, we're also going to center our lives around one another. And this is how it looks for them. A few things. First, they start caring for those in need. 
Now, this is not like forced communism, all right? You might read some like modern theologians who are like, Acts 2, it's not, okay? This is willfully people saying, you know what I'm going to do? I have excess, and this person who also loves Jesus does not. They're in need. And so they would willingly bring what they had, sell it, and then give it to those in need in their community, such that, notice how crazy this is, they were selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Imagine a community of 3,000 new followers of Jesus and not a single one is in financial need. Not a single one going hungry. Not a single one not having a roof over their heads. Not a single one not having a place to belong. Willingly selling what they had. Giving to those in need. Second thing that organized their life together was gathered worship. Gathered worship. The text says, attending the temple together day by day. They would go up to their version of corporate gathered worship in their society at this time. They, they didn't neglect meeting together. They attended the temple of God. They made worship of God collectively a central part of their life and community. And then the third is eating together. Eating together. They said breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. We see this model right away of a church that gathers and then scatters gathers together as the people of God to worship him and sing and hear his word preached and proclaimed and then scatter into each other's homes. And I love this because they're not just eating, but they're eating with joy, right? They're receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. They're loving one another. They're lingering over tables. They're enjoying wine. I'm sorry if that throws you. They're enjoying wine and bread and laughter and joy and celebration. But they don't even stop there. So they, they revolve their life around Christ, and that spills out into the community, but it goes even one more layer. It spills out into their city. This is how the passage ends, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They start immediately living into the command of Acts 1.8. So notice, it's not like, all right, we put our faith in Jesus, we repent, we're baptized, now we got to go learn stuff for like three years, right? They immediately, as the people of God, as a community, begin having favor with all the people. They begin serving their neighbors in need. If you read non-Christian, non-follower of Jesus historians of this time, over and over again for the first 200, 300, 400 years of the church, it's not a great thing to be a Christian, but the constant thing they say over and over, people who don't know Jesus say about those who do know Jesus is, we keep trying to kill them and they keep loving us. That's the kind of favor the scriptures are talking about. Hey, we're going to love you. We're going to serve you. We're going to bless you. We want favor with all the people. And then notice what's happening. The Lord is adding to their number day by day. It's a very key thing that if you've been around a while, I want to make sure you're including if people ask you the vision of our church. We are a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. That with him is not just a random prepositional phrase we threw on at the end. Is, it even, is that what it is, a prepositional phrase? It's not a random tag. We are on mission with him because here's our distinct, most crucial belief when it comes to the mission of God. God is working and saving. We are joining his work. Not we go make it happen. Not they are adding to their number day by day, those who are being saved. Who's adding to their number? The Lord. The Lord is adding to the number. What are they doing? They're just being faithful Christians. They're just being faithful disciples. They're just living into this vision. Okay, we're going to center our lives around Jesus, center our lives around each other, and the Lord goes, I'm going to honor that and add to your number day by day those who are being saved. We believe God is on a mission, and we're just joining him as we love him and love one another. That's the beautiful invitation. 
So did you catch all that? I know we moved kind of fast. Following Jesus, all right? Let me kind of summarize for us. Following Jesus, teaching, communion, prayer, signs and wonders of the Spirit, being a family. They're sharing their possessions. They're eating together. They're gathering together for worship. They're living on mission with God. They're having favor with the city and the people around them. The Lord's adding to their number. What a beautiful picture of what the church can be. We're trying our best as a two-year-old toddler community to live into this, right? So we read Acts 2.42, teaching. Okay, let's do that. Let's teach the scriptures, right? This is God's word. It's God's revelation of himself to us. Let's not get up here with some psychological or sociological crap, all right? Let's preach the Bible. Let's preach God's word. Let's hold it up and say, this is what he says. Can we live into this and believe it? All right, communion. Hey, what if we took communion basically every Sunday? What if we as a community went back to centering our worship on the table, on the body and blood of Jesus? Where we're forced every week, no matter how much our shame wants to tell us to not believe the gospel, we're forced to stare it in its face. We're forced to go, okay, this is true. I'm a follower of Jesus. This is real for me. Prayers. Hey, what if we just centered our church life on prayer? Hey, what if we did an entire series like we're going to do in a few weeks of Lent where we just talk about prayer and we invite our church family into a threefold rhythm of prayer every single day and we try to pause every gathering to just center our hearts before the Lord and seek him in prayer. All right, eating together. What if every single one of our community groups had some monthly rhythm like they do where they get to eat together? share a meal together, laugh together, linger together. A lot of us were at a wedding last night of folks in our church community, and it was full, and it should be continually full of joy and dancing and celebration and laughter and life. What if we had favor with all the people, right? Just this week, some of our team had a meeting with, a, with leaders at the Dowd YMCA, and we just asked this simple question, how can we love you? How can we serve you? How can we bless you and your staff and the folks that call the Dowd home? The Lord adding to our number. At the end of the gathering today, we're going to celebrate two baptisms of folks in our church family. What if we saw more of that this year? Not because of, of anything we did, but because the Lord is faithful to save when we're faithful to love him and love each other. Now, we are nothing perfect, even close, right? If you're new and you're like, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's a great idea. <laughs> it's from the Bible, we think. And we're trying our best, and we're stumbling over ourselves. We, as a community, are far from perfect. I am far from perfect in living this out. We have no pretensions to say, hey, look how awesome we are. We're just like an Acts 2 community, because we're not. And if you're looking for a church that will be, then you can keep looking. We love you, but we're not going to live into this perfectly. It's a good goal. It's a good idea. We're striving. We're seeking the Holy Spirit. We're dependent on him. But I will never lie to you and tell you that we have it all figured out, because we will never have it all figured out. Until Christ returns, or calls us home, or shuts us down. <laughs> I know that's like the captivating vision you came here for, right? <laughs> it's like, take 2023, yes, we're imperfect. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're desperate for Jesus to work. We're desperate to live into this vision, stumbling and failing and getting back up again, forgiving one another, receiving God's forgiveness for us. But here's where I want to kind of hit for just a second. Let me just be honest with this for, for a minute. Here's what I think really gets in the way of us living into this vision. Because we're not going to do it perfect, and we don't do it perfect. But one of the things that I, I just have seen in myself and in us as a community, where this can really kind of buffer us or get in the way of us living out this vision, is that some of us, myself included, really, really like parts of it. You know what I mean? Like, we really, really like parts of the vision, and the other ones are, like, tolerable or forgetful at best. 
right? So here's what it often, often sounds like. I, uh, whenever somebody becomes a member at our church, they sit down with, with one of our pastors and it's, we call it a membership interview. It's more like a, just a conversation. Tell us your story. How'd you meet Jesus? Those kinds of things. And one of the questions I always love to ask is how'd you uh, find out about citizens and what kept you? at Citizens. Like, why do you want to be a member here? There's a ton of great churches in our city. Why here? Why is, why do you think God's calling you to this community? And overwhelmingly, I hear one of two responses. Either I hear, well, the teaching is awesome, which thank you. <laughs> Flattered. But for real, they say, I mean, you preach the Bible, you try to teach God's word, you, you don't shy away from hard things. Like, I just love being challenged from the scriptures. That's awesome. Or they will say something like, I just love the community. Like, I have felt so welcomed here. I can feel like I can be myself, fully known and fully loved. Like, what a beautiful welcome I've received from this church family. There would be like one or two who are like, I love the mission. I love going after it with you guys in the city. There's like one or two, but overwhelmingly, the handful is one of those two options. And that's not bad. So I don't want you to mishear me. You're like, oh, crap, I have a membership interview coming up. Like, don't say one of those. Like, I don't want you to hear that. Those are not wrong answers. All of us have things we lean towards. All of us have preferences. All of us have desires that we look for in a church. That's not wrong. But what happens is when those things we love the most or are easiest for us to live into come with us then forgetting or rejecting the other parts of the Acts 2 vision the other parts of what God has called us to as a community. So we start functionally living as if we're a Jesus-centered family, full stop. Or we start living like we're Jesus-centered mission, full stop. Or we start living like we're a family on mission, full stop. Or any combination of those. And so it got me thinking, okay, what happens if you miss part of the vision? Like what happens if you miss part of the collective picture we see in Acts chapter two? And so this is my kind of best guess at that. This is not from the scriptures. This is just me just thinking about, man, what do I think you are left with if you make the small pivot away from part of our vision and start walking in that direction? What do I actually think you're left with? So let's, let's just consider that for a moment. And this is kind of where we'll land. Imagine with me that you're just Jesus centered. Now on the surface, that sounds awesome, right? It's like, that shouldn't that be, if we're going to choose one, shouldn't that be maybe, but I think if you don't have family and mission, what you're actually left with is what I would call spiritual narcissism. Lone Ranger Christianity. Life with God is all about me, he and me, only him and I. It's really religion becomes a self-improvement project. Life with God becomes how do I become a better version of myself? Silence and solitude and Sabbath are my favorite spiritual disciplines because it's just me and God. I think you're left with a spirituality that's just all about you. But what if you're just family? I think what you have there is social clubs, right? That's your brewery run club. It's your hunting club. That's your hobby group. Whatever blank club you want to put in front. It's just a group of friends. What about if you're just on mission? Was that not secular renewal? Is that not a lot of good nonprofits in our city doing a lot of really good work, not in the name of Jesus? Good things do not mishear me. Great things needed in our city, but it's secular renewal. The world can do that. Well, can step in and love neighbor. Okay, but what if you get two, right? What if you're Jesus-centered and you're a family? Well, then I think you become an insulated group, an insulated community. You become a functional Bible study where anybody who doesn't know Jesus or is new to their faith or has a lot of questions is actually uh, a bad thing when they step into group. It's actually an infringement upon you guys having the deep, robust theological discussion you actually wanted to have. Oh, that person, they're messy. I don't really want them to show up to group because they ask a lot of questions. We can't really like talk about Jesus like I want to. We become isolated and insular. All right, what if we're family and on mission? Well, that's social activism. You just take secular renewal and you do it with some friends. Is this not politics in 2023? 
right? I can find some other people that agree with me on some things and do some good work. Social activism. Well, what if you're Jesus-centered and you're on mission? Well, then you're a solo reformer. You're out there trying to kill it for Jesus, trying to change the world, but you're lonely. You don't know how to love each other, love one another, live in community. You lose a crucial aspect of even finding out who Jesus has made you in all of the good and the bad. You're just out there kind of trying to crush it. And all of these things, what's so dangerous about them is that they're all okay for a little bit. They're all okay for a little while, right? Social activism is not a bad thing. Having an insular Bible study where it's you and your Christian friends talking about the deeper things of God and Jesus is not a bad thing. Going out there, you alone with Jesus, solo reformer, that's not a bad thing. But what happens is when that becomes the identifying marker of the rhythms and habits of our lives. But if you put them all together, this Acts 2 vision, that's where I think you get a robust, flourishing community of disciples. People who are going, okay, I'm going to revolve my life around Jesus. I'm going to revolve my life around these people. And I'm going to see how God uses that to spread into our city in a really, really beautiful way. And that's what we're going after unashamedly, unapologetically as a church. We exist to be a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. That is our driving force because that's what we see in the scriptures. That's what we want to be about and that's what we are going after. I'll be honest with you. I have no interest in giving my life away for any lesser vision than that. Like I love my social groups. I love the guys that I play poker with. I love the guys that I play golf with. I have no interest in giving my life away for that group to advance in our city for the kingdom of God right? I love the nonprofits in our city. I want to be personally on the front lines of the kingdom of God breaking in, but I don't want to do it alone. I want to do it with his people. I want to do it with his family. And so all of those other parts, yeah, those have aspects of the good. That's why they're so tempting. That's why we can default into living into them. But me personally, and you can decide with the spirit what you want to do. I want nothing less than to be a part of a movement of God as a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. That's what I'm giving my life away for. That's what I'm more like willing to get up early for that. I'm willing to show up at 6.30 at the Dowd YMCA to set up a room for that. I'm willing to show up on Tuesday nights when I'm tired and it's been a long week already for that. I'm willing to go share the gospel with my neighbor at the poker night for that. Because that's what Christ has called us to. That's what we're about as a church. And I, and I love, don't, don't miss the very beginning of this passage because I think it... It puts it really clearly for us that this is not just a set of ideas. This is a set of lived realities for the early church. So don't, don't miss those first couple of words of Acts 42. Notice what the text says. It says, and they devoted themselves. This wasn't good ideas. It wasn't just like, you know, it'd be cool if we like center our lives around each other. If we like, you know, thought about some idea of eating together, that'd be fun. No, they devoted themselves. The Greek word here is the word proskotoreo, and it means they steadfastly continued in these things. That means when it got hard, they steadfastly continued. That means when the city closed in on them and they no longer kept having favor with the people, they steadfastly continued in these things. That means when that person that they were trying to live in community with, because 3,000 sinners trying to follow Jesus together is going to create conflict. That's how life works. They steadfastly continued in these things. That means when it was no longer convenient for their schedule to daily attend the temple together and break bread in their homes, they steadfastly continued in these things. That means when it no longer set their vision and view of life to be held back and kept back by these lesser people who are annoying and frustrating. They steadfastly continued in these things. That's the vision. But here's the reality. 
That's really, really, really hard. Some would say impossible. And don't be fooled. We can sometimes do this with the early church. We can think the early church was perfect. Just read the rest of the New Testament. Like what comes right after Acts? First Corinthians, which is a book to a church that's literally like on fire. <laughs> it's real bad in First Corinthians, right? And I love that First Corinthians comes right after Acts because lest we elevate these people to think that they had the perfect community and it all figured out, Paul's like, don't forget the church at Corinth. They were real messed up. Read the rest of the New Testament. Most of them are real messed up, but they're going after something together because this is their hope and this is our hope. Don't divorce Acts 2, 42 through 47 from Acts 2, 38 through 41. Let me show you this, okay? Because the vision of community comes after this reality. So Peter preaches a sermon, 3,000 people get saved. Look at what happens, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, Peter's sermon about how they killed Jesus, which is a really crazy sermon, they were cut to the heart. That's the language of the New Testament for repentance and conviction. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, well, devote yourselves to getting together and attending the temple. No. What does Peter tell them? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Spoiler alert, that's us today who follow Jesus. We are the all who will fall off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. None of this vision of Acts 2, 42 through 47 is possible without first repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, none of it is possible without the good news of the gospel. Amen. I love that, right? They're like, okay, we're cut to the heart. You just told us we killed Jesus, who's the son of God. What do we do? And Peter doesn't say, all right, organize together in a community, eat some food together, attend the temple together, devote yourself to my teaching and prayer. No, what does he say? Repent, be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, become followers of Jesus. Acts 2 through 42 through 47 flows out of that, but first and foremost, believe the gospel. That is our hope as a community. That is our hope as a church. In fact, I will say this strongly. Acts 2, 42-47 matters zero if you first don't understand, repent, and believe the gospel. That will not save you. You can get to heaven one day, and God will say, why should I let you into my kingdom? And you can say, well, because I ate well with other Christians. I attended corporate worship most Sundays. I even beat the odds. The odds in America right now, 25% of Sundays. Most people attend. I went 75%. I read my Bible like four times, <laughs> confessed my sin, tried to share the gospel with non-believers. Okay, but did you repent and believe the gospel? Do you know Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord? He's the whole point. We're going to talk all about that in the next two weeks. That Jesus is the whole point. He is the why behind all whys. He's what we preach He's what we celebrate. He's what we're about. He's what we go after. He is what we center our lives around. And the natural outworking of that is always, always that we will then love each other and love our city. But it starts with repent and believe the gospel. And so if you're not a Christian, you're checking out church, you're like, I'm trying to figure out this God thing in the new year, welcome. Here's our one invitation for you. Repent and believe the gospel.
that Christ is, in fact, the Messiah, that he is, in fact, the Son of God, that he did come to live a life you could not live, die the death you and your sins deserved, and yet rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death so you could be made right with God and have perfect relationship with him forever. If you are a Christian, may we always, as a church, continually go back to the gospel. It is our hope. It was our hope in 2022. It was our hope in 2021. And it's going to continually be our hope in 2023. We have no other hope but the fact that Christ has come, that he's died, and that he's risen again. That is our foundation. And the rest of it flows out of that. That is our hope. Let me pray for us. Here's what, here's what I want to do. So we kind of enter into the year. You can close your eyes. Garrison already, already led us into this at the beginning of the year. We're probably going to do a lot of it this year. I'm just kind of warning you. Um, but I would love to just pray over us as a community. So you can close your eyes. Christians throughout the years have found it helpful to, to do s- something with our bodies that just opens us up to the presence and voice of God. And so if you want to open your palms towards heaven, if you want to just kind of sit with your feet on the ground, take a deep breath. And what I want to do is I just want to pray over us as a community that we would be marked more than anything else this year by a deep life with God through the gospel. So I'm going to pray that over us. If you want to do, do whatever you want to do to, to be ready to receive that. And let me, let me pray over us. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, this beautiful picture of what the church can be. Well, you would take 3,000 people and in a day that you would bring them from death to life but you wouldn't just leave them there. You would actually unite them to each other 